Welcome to Tell Us, a podcast all about the world of technology-enhanced learning, brought to you by the Tell team at the University of Sussex, with your host, Dan Axon. That's right, this is the Tell Us podcast, and I am Dan Axon, and this is episode three of season two. And we're about to take a little meander, a mini-series within the series, if you like. Um, we're going to have a bit of a thread on um, accessibility, particularly digital accessibility and inclusive design. And this was kickstarted by a seminar as part of our seminar series last week. We had uh, Dr. David Sloan at the university talk to us about um, accessibility and inclusion uh, when it comes to digital content and creating digital content. And the talk was quite far-ranging, far-reaching, and really, really full of just absolute nuggets of gold of information. Um, So if you weren't able to attend or want to watch it back, I really encourage you to check out the recording, and I'll put the links in the show notes. And if you want to catch up with David on Twitter, he is at SloanDR, at S-L-O-A-N-D-R on Twitter. Um, David is a user experience research lead uh, for the Pacciello Group. Um, so he's now works uh, as part of a digital accessibility consultancy, but he's actually been working in this field for nearly 20 years. It's just about 20 years. So he's got a lot of experience. And what I was really interested in is a couple of things. One is what got him started, what interested him in accessibility, but also how that landscape's maybe changed over the last 20 years. Um, because, of course, in the digital world, things change almost daily. So what are the challenges that have remained, what have gone away? Um, and so we talked to that. We also talk about, you know, what's happening at the moment, the current state of the nation and how um, content creators need to be aware, even if they don't know themselves as content creators, uh, about um, accessibility um, issues and design. And then we also talk to the future, you know, what does the future hold for this space? Is it going to be an issue in 20 years? I mean, probably, uh, but what are the challenges and do they evolve and will they change? And of course, uh, we'll bring back your favourite new podcast feature, uh, the shortcut of the show. Um, Yes, I know, it's amazing and you love it and you've all been demanding more, um, all three of you. Uh, So uh, I asked David what his favourite shortcut is and we we reached that at the end. Um, So yeah, I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed chatting to David and um, please enjoy it. I'll be back at the end. Um, See you then. I am officially a user research uh, accessibility lead, but more prosaically, I I work as a consultant providing advice and support to organisations trying to make their digital products more accessible to people with disabilities. And that advice ranges from helping people who make the stuff, whether they're developers or, or writers, through to thinking of things in a more strategic perspective. How does an organisation organise itself in a way that makes it possible for people to deliver accessible digital experiences? Okay, thank you for that. And, and this, this work takes you inevitably over the world to some extent. Yes. And you mentioned earlier, uh, I should say for the benefit of the podcast, that you gave us a, bit, a, a talk earlier uh, to colleagues at the university um, on this topic. And you mentioned that you spend a lot of time in the States. Yes, so my company is based in the US. I work from home in Fife in Scotland, but I quite often travel to work with clients, um, usually in North America. Um, And the the, the travelling is almost always to perform some kind of research. Either it's working with disabled people to watch them use a product in order to figure out 
how it could be improved, mm. to identify the problems they're having with it, or it might be to ask them questions about uh, an area that a client is interested in learning more or maybe interested in developing a technology for, or we're going to organisations to talk to them about what they know about accessibility, what they're doing, what they need, yeah. what the challenges that we might be able to help them with. So when we go on site, we learn a yeah. lot about the practical challenges. Okay. And would you say that um, you know the US and the UK are quite comparable in the challenges? Is there unique challenges geographically? Or? I would say that the challenges for accessibility are pretty much standard in terms of the technical challenges and the social challenges that we're dealing with. We're trying to provide digital resources, digital content in a way that doesn't exclude people because of a disability. Yeah. And that holds across the world. Yeah. But inevitably there are differences, for example, in legislation or the legislative climate. So yeah. in, in the US there tends to be more of a an eagerness to you know, look at litigation as a way to persuade somebody to do something, yeah. whereas in the UK, uh, the the system work you know, things are slightly different. There's more of a, a desire to negotiate and and, and have yeah. an agreement. So you tend not to see legal action as quite the the um, motivating factor here in the UK that it is in the US. Uh, so so there's a bit more of an awareness. I think one other difference is that because so many big tech companies are based in the US, mm. they are very conscious about the, the legal requirements, not necessarily on them, but on their on their customers. Yeah. So if they want to sell a product to the government in the US, for example, sure. they need to be thinking about accessibility. But if they have a product that people in the UK want to buy, then we're going to benefit from their yeah. efforts. So. That makes sense. Um, and... Um yeah, you made a, a quite. A, a, you know, you used the stick carrot analogy earlier. I quite mm. like that. You know, this, this legislation is the stick, yep. but actually, um, there's more opportunities from a carrot perspective um, as organisations and and people who are interested in uh, more specifically around what you talked about earlier uh, can listen back to that because we recorded it as well. Mm. Um, what I'd like to do, uh, David, is okay, is talk to you a bit more about um, the beginning of your career. So it's approaching twenty years, I think. Yes, getting on for yes. Um, so 1990, yeah, 1999 would be when I started working. I started getting paid to yeah. do stuff related yeah. to accessibility. So. And um, you mentioned earlier that, um, so one of my questions before, before your talk today was um, what interested you around accessibility and digital accessibility? Um, but you mentioned that your initial um, path or career, or path, so to speak, actually, pardon the pun, was cartography. That's right, um, yeah. And um, I'd, like, I'd like to hear more about that um, in a moment, but uh, what I particularly liked was the the parallel to accessibility, and you know you're mapping routes, access, uh, and so on, and land, um, and actually the challenges with mapping access to land probably quite parallel into uh, access on the digital world. I think there are all sorts of parallels. One is that there's an art and a science to cartography, yeah. and there's also an art and a science to to accessibility. There are yeah. things in digital accessibility where there's a very clear definition do this and it will benefit don't do it and you're going to provide barriers yeah. but in other situations there's a bit of an art as, as to what works in a particular situation so providing a text alternative for a graphic for example mm. that's a nice black and white thing you have to do it in order to be accessible yeah but then the next question is well what is the what is an equivalent text alternative for a particular graphic and then you start having to ask questions about well, what what purpose does it convey yeah. and what would I 
communicate to somebody who couldn't see it, but allow them to get a similar experience. And that's where the, I guess, the art comes into yeah. it. And then you're thinking about characteristics, you're thinking about circumstances. And I think in cartography, there's an aspect of that as well. With with a map, it's a graphical representation of a physical space. Sure. And you can't put everything on the map. So you need to think about what people are using the map yeah, for. Okay. Is it to is it as a road map? Is it a, an orienteering map or something where you need yeah. much finer detail? Is it a, a map where you're comparing population of different countries, in which case... Yeah. It's almost the data that matters yeah. as much as the the physical space. So, so yeah, I guess there is a parallel. And I guess that's a conversation. <laughs> and, and certainly, I you know I found myself guilty of that when putting images into slides, for example, for presentations. Is you know if I really sat to think and des- decide exactly why I've put that image in for a description, often actually you might as well just take it out because it's serving no purpose other mm. than just to look <clears> pretty. Um, but I suppose there's an argument for both sometimes, isn't there? Absolutely, yes. I mean one. There is certainly an argument to say if you have a big block of text, then an illustration can help to make that text more accessible for people who have difficulty reading and processing text. Mm. So it's not necessarily a case that accessibility is provide text. Sure, that will help people who are listening to content rather than seeing it, but there are people who can see content but may have difficulty processing it. So a graphic whether it's a map or a a, a pie chart or something or a photo, it just helps to provide illustrations. So it kind of works both ways, yeah. And do you still dabble in cartography? Is it something you do still (laughs) get involved in? I love, I haven't drawn a map, unless I'm in a really boring teleconference, in which case (laughs) I will will doodle maps. I love looking at them and and just diving in. And when when I left my previous job to come into the accessibility world, yeah, Google Maps didn't exist, okay. and I don't know what my job would have been like had Google Maps existed, where right, you can yeah. zoom in to a point. I can say, oh, I'm, go- I'm going to Brighton tomorrow. I'm going to zoom in, and then I'm going to go to Street View, and I can yeah. sort of walk along the road and see what the building looks like. That's just and that's amazing to me that you can do that now. It's incredible, and actually from an accessibility point of view, you know, it's now more accessible for people to contribute their own content to right. those maps. You know, we've got cameras, we can walk around campus and exactly. contribute to Street View. You can connect, you can correct stuff. As somebody who has maybe a wheelchair user, I could go on Street View and check, oh, there's a there's a, a curb cut there, mm. I can cross the street there, there's a staircase, I'm, I, I don't want to go that way. You yeah. can almost start to do some background research about accessibility. It'd be nice, it'd be nice if there's an accessible digital overlay, as yeah. a map layer, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, I know that there are there are lots of apps out there that provide aspects of of accessible descriptions. There was something Ewan's Guide, which provides okay. accessibility descriptions of public spaces, restaurants, that kind of thing. Mm. So you, the whole app culture has freed up information and allowed people to contribute. Yeah. To it, you see. Well, actually, that that brings us on nicely because um, you know we talked a bit about the beginning of your career, um, but of course. In the digital world, 20 years or nearly 20 years is a long time. Yes. And a lot changes. Yes. Right? And fast. Yes. Uh, and can, it, you could quickly become blindsided by that. Um, so what, what, what are some of the significant challenges that have maybe come and gone, maybe changed or any stand out for you as, or just haven't gone away? They're still a challenge despite the work that's gone in. 
That's a, a really good question, and one where if I was really prepared, I'd, I'd bring up a lot of statistics yeah, yeah. saying, like, in 1999, this was the most, the the the, the WCAG's uh, web content accessibility guideline that was failed the most in, in audits, and this is how it's changed. Yeah. I don't have those numbers to hand, but uh, I think um, something that has persisted over time is an assumption that people use the mouse to interact with Right, digital content, especially web content, and providing for keyboard accessibility, which okay. you know perhaps people using a keyboard on its own to interact with a, a web application is a relatively rare situation. But people who are using other input devices like that kind of rep yes yeah. that represent yeah. a, a keyboard type interface, they are still encountering all sorts of issues. And now it's yeah. largely because of uh, you know, custom complex user interface components okay. that are kind of constructed with HTML that doesn't by default take keyboard focus. So you've right. got to add all that behavior in. You're kind of throwing away what HTML had and yeah. recreating it. And, and a lot of solutions forget about about uh, non-mouse okay. users. So, so going for style over substance in a yeah, way. Yeah, there's that, there's yeah. that. And, just, and, and, and choosing a more complex solution but forgetting to See. to cover okay. all, all bases. So that's something I think that hasn't really gone away. I think the the alternative text for images is probably still there. It's maybe not quite the issue that it was. Yeah. Uh, one thing that has gone away as a problem is uh, using JavaScript. You know, but when I started out, okay. any in interface that was scripting, that required scripting for functionality, we would sort of recoil. Oh, yeah. this, okay. this is totally <laughs> inaccessible. Now, Assistive technologies can handle JavaScript and JavaScript-generated functionality without any problems. So generally, there may be other reasons for not relying too much on JavaScript for you know, performance or security yeah. uh, or just you know, sort of robustness. Sure. But as an accessibility issue, it's something that tends to help improve accessibility rather than hinder it these days, yeah. whereas back at the start... It was definitely something that we were okay. worried about. So is that is that that's because um, over that you know over that period of time that web standards have been uh, been developed and worked on through consortiums, so actually people can start to develop sort of standard robust stuff around this. I think yes, certainly awareness of standards and following standards, and not just amongst content creators and developers, but also the devices that yeah. expose that content content to users, whether it's a browser or an assistive technology there's been good progress towards mm. following standards in the AT world and in the browser yeah. world. And there's, there's, there, there's, there are always changes in, of course, yeah. in, in the browser um, this, uh, browser wars and, and what's yes. which, which engine is dominant and which, which is disappearing. But the, the assistive technologies have certainly improved in terms of their... Yeah, and you mentioned in your talk earlier about uh, you know devices many of us have in our pockets, uh, you know Android, Apple devices, yep. and that some of the assistive technologies that now certainly on iOS devices are, well, they're they're sort of world leading in some aspects, aren't they? They're for a yeah. sort of free off the shelf software. Yeah, I mean, I guess well, relatively free. free. Yeah, free, that, that is. I think that's the, yeah. that's the big the big challenge is like the cost of the the mobile device and the plan that you use is still something that excludes a lot yeah. of people who who would benefit from it. But certainly sure. for people who have access to uh, a smartphone, the fact that assistive technology becomes bundled with it and the fact that you could get apps that provide 
specific solutions to support your particular accessibility yeah. needs on a device that that everyone has you, know, you walk down the street and you count how many people yeah. have a smartphone so here's a, a device that somebody with a disability can use and it looks like everyone else's it's not a special pc yeah. that's clunky and that has to stay in one place it's a mobile device it's something that people can take with them so it's liberating in that respect and it's you know there, there isn't the social stigma yeah. of using a obviously medical device it's just it's, it's an iphone or a, a, an android device it's just just brought quite an incredible flashback to me um from when um in my previous job we uh, purchased one of the sort of first iPads as it came around yeah. as an as a um, an augmented communication device for a student um and previous to that they were carrying around one of these sort of trolley supermarket type things right. that had yeah. a gigantic yeah. purpose built thing that battery lasted about an hour and it didn't sound like them in the slightest it was you know and and you know, this this was quite a young, quite a weak student who had to cart around this thing and rarely used it. Yeah. And there's no surprise, but of course the iPad came out. Everyone else had them. It was common. It looked okay. It was a cool thing to have for a young person. Yeah, that's really important, isn't it? It is, and it reminds me of a book, one of the, the best books I've read in the last, well, since I started in accessibility. It was by a former colleague at Dundee, Graham Poulin, who wrote this book, Design Meets Disability. And it makes that point that a lot of you know, historically, a lot of devices to the, the assistive technologies in its widest sense came from the medical world and they were intended to solve a medical problem. Yeah. And the aesthetic and the user experience was, it just wasn't, yeah. it wasn't something that was considered. And Graham's book looked at how you design as a force for good you can can interact with disability and be something that's that, that that helps produce more desirable assistive technologies and more desirable devices that have accessibility built in. And it just kind of reframed how you think about accessibility and aesthetics, which often historically have been seen as two opposing things. You can yes. you can have accessible or you can have beautiful and you can't have both. Well actually you can. Yes, absolutely. Is just a case of thinking about it. Yeah, and and you know you mentioned it earlier, and and actually just now um, a moment ago is uh, you know these big companies are are f uh, bringing it to the forefront, and Microsoft most famously recently with their uh, Xbox controller, yep, game the controller, Super Bowl ad, yeah, uh, yeah. with the Super Bowl ad, um, and Apple, you know, making this stuff important, and um, it reminded the BBC One show as well. Um, recently had uh, a specialist college in National Star talking about how um, they were using uh, augmented communication, communication devices with voices that sounded like them. Right. You know, black yeah. country accents, not, um, you know, standard Queen's English, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, Microsoft um, Sam, you know. Coming from Scotland, I know that if I needed something that represented my personality, yeah. I, would have a trouble, I would have trouble if it, if it yeah. was an accent from another country. Or, yes. Right, so... So yeah, it's uh, you know there's an aspect of personality, but all of this conversation it's 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 great to, as examples of how technology can enable and provide independence, overcome accessibility issues, and that kind of complements the responsibilities of people who create digital content yeah. that those devices and solutions are intended to interact with. So you know you, you've got this great innovation, and the smartphones have really yeah. helped, but that doesn't get away from the fact that people who are writing, yes. creating digital content still have a role to play as well. And uh, I think one of your slides earlier 
um, with the most um, the most amount of uh, bullets on it was who's responsible. Yes. And and actually, there's very, there's very few people that aren't responsible for this. That's right. That's everyone from the hardware vendors, the software vendors, through to the end users making a module site on a VLE. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And my the point of my talk today, you know, if the one thing I really wanted to get over was that a successful organisational strategy for accessibility is one that supports the idea that responsibility is distributed across all yeah. of the different stakeholders so that it's not all left to a developer or to disability services yeah. or so, you know, one small group, you do accessibility, you clean up everyone else's mess. Well, that's just not a sustainable way yeah. to deal with accessibility. The more you can distribute it, distribute it across the board mm. so that decisions are made that are informed by accessibility needs yeah. wherever they might influence the digital environment that the organisation controls. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and actually, um, if, if you don't mind, we'll, we'll jump on slightly um, because um, you know, we've talked about the current state of technology. Right? You yep. talked about where, where, you, where you jumped on board to accessibility, yeah. the current state. Um, I'm quite interested in, um, in the future of this and just, you know, we can do some ridiculous future gazing if you like or if there's any specific thoughts that you have. Um, but you, you had a quote earlier from um, a student or a young person called Jesse. I was a, a participant in one of our usability studies. Yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you know the quote offhand? I didn't write the whole quote. but Yeah, um, it's if I, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. it's something along the lines of I really believe that technology can mitigate disability in terms of overcoming some most of the practical issues that blindness presents yes. so this is somebody who's is a screen reader user and has seen um and i almost use that 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 word literally yeah. to um to, to to emphasize the point she is using technology to do things independently that previously she wouldn't have been able to without yeah. vision, without somebody to describe a scenario, allow her to, to choose, make choices. There are apps out there that allow somebody to point their camera, uh, you know, using a, a, a smartphone, point their camera at a, a scenario. Mm. And either it might be an automated um, system where with image recognition and uh, AI, it can describe yeah. to some to a degree of accuracy yeah. the, the the scene that that somebody's um, experiencing, or it puts them in in contact with a human describer. So yeah. quickly you can call somebody. There's a, a service called Ira that's out in the US, where it's a subscription service, and you call somebody and point your your smartphone at something and say, "Okay, can you um, tell me um, where?" You're pointing at the wardrobe or something. Are my jeans where are yeah. my jeans hanging up? Okay. Or, or yeah. what? Which which is my um, t my yellow t-shirt? I want to wear yeah, my yellow yeah. t-shirt today. What's oh, the third one on the left? Okay, Brilliant. that's great. So, it's a way for somebody to have a pair of eyes, a describer, mm. and a, a trained describer uh, to to help them. And the, you know, we've asked about you know, what about the security issues? Do you yeah. feel okay with somebody that you don't know? Describing something in your house, for example, yeah, that's no, that, that's that's interesting. That, that yeah. seems to be seems to be fine. I mean, obviously there is a you know there's a need to make sure that that a service isn't open to abuse, but mm. that kind of enabling thing that technology offers certainly for 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 some people or some some 
accessibility challenges seems to be yeah and it's it's no it's incredible and for those that are interested we've talked on this podcast uh, a, a while back about an app called seeing ai which is yeah. microsoft's one and yeah. that's yeah. yeah i mean it's hit and miss it's described me as a year older than i am but <laughs> it's pretty good it's, oh, it's, i, I was really the impressed one, yes by it. no that it, it added 12 years to my Did age it? so i don't like that <laughs> but there are there are other apps like it and um uh, i was going to ask you offline uh, or mention it offline but you mentioned that ira yes yeah there's a there's a a postgrad student at Sussex uh, called Daniel, who's um, developed a um, software for um, people with low or no vision. Mm. Um, called uh, his company's called Graphil. The product's called Iris, uh, and it um, is for. Uh, so he's a physics student, and the app uh, takes a photo of a chart, a graph, uh, some data, uh, and then it sends it to a volunteer. Who then describes what's in there to right. send back? So similar service, but for specific, like quite a specific uh, use case for uh, academics and um, which is really great. And again, you're yeah. connecting somebody with a, a way to get that description. Mm. Um, I guess there'll be people who say, "Well, you know, that's that's maybe giving that student a head start over interpreting the graph." But I mean, I, th- I don't. I think the purpose is really to give somebody an equal playing field sure. in terms of the information that they then might need to interpret and be assessed for some academic purpose on their ability to interpret the information. But just having access to it, it's about equality rather than yeah. giving them an advantage. And, so, you know, <coughs> we mentioned AI a bit there. Um, what, um, you know, and that, that's that's now, that's kind of the now near future. You know, mm. AI is playing a large part in this. Yeah. It's not getting, a, it's getting a lot wrong, but it is enabling us to do a lot right as well. Um, what do you see is... is going to be the challenges do you think we'll see still see some of the same challenges in 20 30 years time is is have have you know do people look that far ahead in this space um i i don't know i'm probably the worst person to 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 ask about what technology is going to look like in 20 to 30 years time um but maybe around the challenges around accessibility but but certainly um there are challenges i think one of the ongoing challenges is the more we have the more people in the world we have as content creators, the more people we need to provide basic assistance and accessibility. Right. When I started out in accessibility, we had people, we had a lot of people writing uh, office type documents. Yeah. We had some people doing web development, but now we've got millions and millions and millions of people blogging through WordPress or whatever, sure. putting stuff in Facebook. You know, organizations have used Facebook as a web publishing platform. Yeah, yeah. So you've got people who've had no training. You know, when you think about where you might learn about accessibility, yeah. it's typically on oh, a computing science degree or a master's in digital communications or whatever, or you might be do- looking at it from the assistive technology or the disability studies part. But a lot of people end up in positions where they're publishing web content or in charge of a whole yeah. team of people publishing yeah. web content who haven't been through that educational right. process. And I think that's one of the big challenges we need to solve, which is, on the one hand, to include accessibility and inclusive communication as part of core digital skills that are taught way back primary school, secondary yeah. school, and also improve the authoring tools that we use, whether it's a virtual learning environment or Facebook or, or a blogging tool or whatever it may be, to make sure that those tools help people mm. publish accessibly. Yeah. And if we can get to that point, then we'll have a really inclusive environment. Because I, I mean, I 
I do think there's a there's a greater awareness than ever before of diversity. Sure. Disability is more prominent. I think we've got a lot of work still to do in comparison to other minority groups, mm-hmm. but disability is more prominent and more aware. Uh, you know, younger generations are more aware of, of diversity from on yeah. the disability um, dimension. So they're they're aware of the benefits of doing it, but knowing what to do, yeah. I think we've still got some work to do there, and I think that's going to take a long time. That's interesting. I really like the uh, what you say there about um, it being a core component of digital capabilities and digital skills. Because, yeah, I, I think I, I imagine the significant proportion of people who are content content creators don't see themselves as content creators. Right, exactly. People posting on Facebook, Instagram, <coughs> Twitter. Um, so we've seen Twitter recently. Um, add the option to adult text to their images and that's right. relatively new and that's now gone across all the other platforms so people do have this available to them but it's knowing it's there isn't it and exactly. knowing why they need yep. to do it still some sometimes you'll get the functionality but it's switched off by default or it's yeah. hidden you've got to you've got to know about it to find it and there's no prompt it's almost like well we, we provide the functionality but we don't want to put it in people's faces yeah. and say hey you need to do this and I, I think I think we can do more to make it more obvious rather than yeah. have it as an option that you've got to turn on which so maybe maybe this uh, is this another paradigm shift that's waiting to happen you know we've had sort of you know these all these words banded about they're kind of you know largely useless in themselves but you know digital by default and mobile default by mm-hmm. default when web design and now maybe accessible by default is absolutely you know the yeah. next thing absolutely yeah it should be and if it isn't, then we're doing something wrong. Um, I'm going to jump onto the digital capability side of things. And actually, uh, you mentioned about in schools as basic yeah. skills. But on the other end of life, you know, elderly people, um, you know, who acquire um, some of these uh, traits that cause them to have some kind of disabling uh, access to digital content, um, such as vision and, and motor skills. Um, but there's also, there's also a digital capability problem with this, isn't there? So is is, and I don't I don't really know the question I'm asking, other than there's some bridging of uh, there's some kind of uh, blurring of the line between accessibility and digital capability, in that is good w- would good accessibility practice help bridge that digital skills gap? I think good accessibility practice and good user experience design will yeah. help. So what you're talking about is something that we we've kind of been thinking about for 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 a, a little while now without necessarily having solved it because yeah. inevitably you know, the aging process it 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 takes a period of time mm. so it's studying a cohort of technology users now in ten years time we we'll, we'll find out something interesting sure. but we've got to wait ten years yeah. for for that to happen so a former colleague at Dundee Chris Lim he he came up with he works in the the art and design school at Dundee but has a focus on technology and and, and aging and he had this idea of um, this concept of technology generations whereby for a given generation you could map the kind of technologies that they were familiar with from day to day and then as new technologies are introduced whether it's a a smartphone or whether it's a a graphical user interface or whatever it may be Before that point, a certain generation didn't know it was there. It was introduced during their lifetime, whereas yeah. certain generations have always lived with it. Yeah. So it's something that's second nature to them. You hear stories of kids now that go up to TVs and stroke them because they think yeah. they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're iPads. I've seen it. Um, so yeah. I, I, I think back to times when I was at Dundee, 
we did a lot of we we had this um, drop-in centre for retired people to yeah. come in and just get familiar with using various technology in a kind of friendly environment. But yeah. the the advantage for for us was that they were available as participants in research activities. Yeah, and there was a guy there who um, was in his eighties and. Um, he was really struggling to use PowerPoint. He was okay. having the most awful time just because of the his unfamiliarity with the interface and perhaps some usability issues with PowerPoint. But this was a guy who wasn't a complete Luddite when mm. it came to technology. This was somebody who'd been a navigator in the Second World War wow. and had flown from the UK to Japan and back yeah. safely. Wow. Uh, using the technology of the early 40s in a sure. wartime environment was able to navigate halfway around the world and back yeah. again. Um, and you know, here, here's somebody now who is struggling with today's technology. And yes, I suspect that we will have problems in the future when we transition into different kinds of interfaces. And the people who are perfectly comfortable with today's digital technology are a little bit older, they're changing, their own capabilities are changing gradually, so almost imperceptibly, sure. so they're not even aware that the change has happened, and yet there's a, you know, there's a subtle yeah. change in, in interaction paradigms. I think being aware of that as a problem gives me hope that we will yeah. help that transition process. Yeah. That's but I think we do have to be, we, we have to pay attention Otherwise, yeah. you know, we, we could be in trouble. We could be finding ourselves repeating problems over yeah. and over again. Absolutely. There's, it, it reminds me of, I, I, don't, I have no idea if it's correctly attributed to Douglas Adams, but I've seen it as a slide many times, which is anything, any technology that was invented before, and I'm paraphrasing, but anything before I was 20 is uh, normal. Anything invented between 30 and 40 is new and exciting. Anything invented after I'm 40 is against the natural order of things and should be burned. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. Um, David, thank you. I, I, I'm going to wrap up there on the sort of main content, sure. unless there's anything else you'd like to talk about. But um, I do have a couple of uh, quick-fire questions that I'd like to ask. Sure. Um, one is, what's your favourite keyboard shortcut? Keyboard shortcuts, that's, that's a great question because the ones that I like the most are the ones I don't even remember. I'm okay. doing, they're just almost automatic. So I guess it's the the, the copy, paste, and yeah. and cut ones that I can't, I just do them. Yeah, so that's a good one. Do you know, because you know, I still come across people who don't know that's a shortcut on a keyboard. So uh, And it's such a handy one to know and have. Um, so copy, paste, and that's going to be our shortcut of the show. So Because uh, I, I started it last episode, our shortcut of the show. It's the least exciting segment of any podcast ever, but probably the most useful. <laughs> the, other one, the other one is the one that I can type an ellipsis. Once I learned that an ellipsis was a single character and not three dots. Okay. And I use a Mac, and I think it's Alt and semicolon key oh okay that types an ellipsis I'll have a look at that one I did not know that was a single character either there you go so I think right. it's yeah, and again when, when it comes to a screen reader reading out yeah. dot 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 versus ellipsis yeah. or, or even not reading ellip the word ellipsis but just having that yeah. pause or that sort of ah. so it's that's the kind of gold. So, you know, um, I strongly encourage those of you who weren't able to attend the, the talk earlier to watch the video back because you, you gave away some brilliant nuggets of advice at the end um, and what to do around office documents and web development. And I was so. told I had to make sure I included yep. some nuggets <laughs> of advice. It was great. And um, my colleague earlier noted that when you mentioned you're about to give out some advice like that, papers shuffled yes. and pens came out. It was great. And it's such so. a good rule of thumb. You know, yeah. if you haven't got nuggets of advice as part of a presentation,
presentation, then <laughs> think about including some. No, it's really it's very useful, and and you know it's good practice. So, uh, an important practice. The your m- most used app. Um, I don't know why this came to mind, but I, I think I was rearranging my own smartphone the other day, the home screen, and thinking about which ones I want to use the most. And then I looked at my own screen time and realised I was quite disappointed by the one that apparently I use the most because <laughs> I've been trying to use it less. But what, what app is indispensable to you and which one do you use, use the most? I would say the app that I would miss most if it didn't exist is Strava. Okay. Yeah. Strava, for people who don't know it, is it's like a social media tool for runners, cyclists, hikers, Mm. it allows you to record any kind of activity. You have a network of people who will give you kudos for for runs. This is a level of encouragement. I I love it because on the one hand it helps me track my own physical activity and when I work from home I could spend, if I don't take care to to, 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 to literally take steps to get away from my desk yeah. I could sit because I work from home I, I, I could sit at my desk yeah, all day yeah. every day so I need to get out I love running I love uh, hiking and, and, and walking and it's also a way to find out what others are doing and you because it's focused on activity you don't have any chat about Donald Trump or no. Brexit or anything <laughs> else that might put you off other certain social media yeah. platforms so for me Strava is is an absolutely brilliant and, and does it turn, does it... In, um, oh, it's got maps in, in it as well. So like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Um, does it encourage your competitive nature with those segments? Um, yes, it does. Yes, to some extent. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've been, I have been known to create my own. And one really cool thing about Strava is the, user, the attention to user experience. So one thing I've done a couple of times is I've, I've gone for a, a run, I've gone to my local park run, yeah. finished, gone home and forgotten to stop my watch oh yeah so strava will say i did this um 11 mile run and the last six miles of it were (laughs) were done at a ridiculously fast (laughs) speed but the trimming tool it allows you to select your run and then there's a slider that you just pull back to the point where you you stopped running and you got in the car and then you clip it and it's it's so well done and they've clearly identified that use case where people finished whatever it was they were doing got in their car drove home and forgot to stop yeah. Strava. It's it's really cool. Personally, I use the Nike Plus app for tracking running, and um, it doesn't have that feature. Uh, well, you can manually edit, um, but what I have noticed is the Apple Watch itself. If you go out for a run and don't and forget to start it, it will remind you about a mile in. So oh, it looks wow, like you're cool. running. Yeah. Do you want to track it? And it will retrospectively track. And the same will happen at the other end as well when you stop and that's, forget to that's stop. That's really cool because so, we have this now feeling it's like, oh, that, that run didn't count because it wasn't on Strava. Yeah. But if your watch is looking out for you, yeah. then yeah, that solves that. All right, David, thank you so much for your time. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been a really interesting chat listening to you. I could talk to you much longer, but I can't because, you know, you've got to get prepared for your part run in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> thank um, you. That's, this has been great fun. Thank all you right. very well, much. Well, thank you very much. I'm sure you'll agree it was a really interesting conversation with David there, particularly around how some of the challenges just haven't gone away over the last 20 years. Um, But also, you know, how over the next 20 years, 20, 30 years, um, some of those challenges will remain. Um, But also how we need to be aware not just of the content we're creating and ensuring we're using best uh, design practice and design principles for accessibility, but also that you know the way uh, people interact with digital content is going to change, and that's something that's obviously we need to be aware of going forward. 
And of course, we have this huge stick at the moment, this new EU legislation, which encourages us or actually mandates us to make sure all our digital content is accessible. But it's important to remember the benefits of this as well. And, uh, and if you want to find out more about that, do check out the, uh, the recording of the seminar that he did for us. Also, don't forget, we had your favourite feature, shortcut of the show, uh, which of course was uh, copy and paste. Control C and Control V, um, hugely useful, absolute powerhouse uh, keyboard shortcuts, um, but really valuable and very useful ones to remember if you haven't used them yet. If you want to find out more about the work we do, the workshops, courses, seminar series, do visit sussex.ac.uk slash T-E-L. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at Dan Axon, D-A-N-A-X-S-O-N. And if you want to find out more about the work we do in Tel, just get in touch with us through the website sussex.ac.uk slash T-E-L. I'll be back next time. Again, we continue this sort of uh, mini-series within the series, this accessibility meander, if you like, um, uh, over the next few weeks, so watch out for those episodes. And there is a full transcript of this show, um, done in part by machine and part by man. So it's kind of like the terminator of transcripts. Uh, so it may not be perfect, um, but um, it's something we haven't been able to do before, so we started to do that. So if you do read the transcript or listen to the transcript, please do... Um, give us some feedback on that um yeah i'll be back next time thanks for listening uh, see you again